Yeah, there's something just so calming, so peaceful about that picture of a majestic mountain covered in evergreen trees. And in fact, even just the color green has something calming and peaceful about it. You think about when springtime bursts forth and the, the forest floor is covered with green moss. Or when the flowers bloom and begin to unfurl their green leaves. Or you look up through the branches and after a harsh winter, tiny green buds begin to show on every branch. In fact, it's not just a metaphor for something calming. You know, we see the green and we think of new life, new opportunity, refreshment. But did you know that neurologists and ophthalmologists have discovered that green literally has a calming effect on you? Because of all of the millions of cones that are in your eye to perceive color, green is the color that activates the highest percentage of those cones, which means it's literally the easiest color and the most relaxing color to see. No wonder God planted so much green all over the world. Probably my favorite evergreen tree is the blue spruce. My parents had a huge blue spruce in their yard when I was growing up, and Whatever the season was, even laying there in the snow, I would just lay under that tree and look up through the branches, the blue and green branches at the blue sky and take deep breaths and just feel so calm, which kind of makes sense to me, that if God really created everything we see, and if he created the eyes that wish we see it, wouldn't it make sense that he would plant green things everywhere to help us relax in a crazy world no matter what season we found ourselves in. That when everything else dies back or fades away, we still have these evergreens. In fact, God even called himself an evergreen to a man named Hosea when he said, I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. And for them, that word cypress is like our word evergreen. It's a big category that carries a lot of different trees, including some that are a little peculiar, like the cypress you see here growing out of this outcrop of rock. You see, cypress, a little different maybe than just the evergreen Christmas tree you think of, has so many different types of trees, and they can last, as Chad pointed out, like the sequoia for thousands of years. They can live in the desert. They can live in 20 degrees below and always produce fruit in any season. So if I'm Hosea and God says, yes, that's me. I'm an evergreen for you. I love the sound of that. Because I want new life and new opportunity and refreshment and good things and energizing situations all the time. Yes, God, I'll take some more of that. But what do you do when it feels like life is burning down all around you? When you find yourself in a forest fire? Because that's where Hosea found himself. The period of time that he lived in, about 3,000 years ago, actually even before the time of Jesus... His country was a disaster. They were experiencing their most evil king. So that for years afterwards, kind of like Hitler, if they wanted to know how bad you were, they would compare you to this king in Hosea's day. His entire country had rejected God, ignored God for so long, they'd actually forgotten who God said he was and started to hate him. And now they were coming under judgment for that. Even his personal life felt like a desert. That his own marriage had dried up because the woman he loved, whom he had three children with, had sold herself voluntarily into prostitution. Where is God in that wilderness? 
And yet it's in the middle of that desert, in the middle of that wilderness, that God comes to this man named Hosea and says, I am evergreen. I am your cypress tree. Your fruit can still be found in me. So as we begin our exploration this morning, I want you to think a little bit about Hosea's story. Because maybe you hear that and you're like, well, that is not me, and thank goodness. In fact, I know about people who need religion. That's for people who like, life is really a disaster. Life has really fallen apart. Nothing is good, and it never will be. So yes, they probably need some kind of crutch like that. But instead, what I would encourage you to think is, if God can be evergreen even in that season of Hosea's life, what season am I in where God can be evergreen for me right now? Because his resources aren't just for the harsh winter, for the, they're for the wonderful spring as well. They're for the summer, they're for the fall, they're for every season of life. And so I'd actually like to take you back. The verse I showed you was from Hosea 14. He actually gets a book named after him. But I'd like to take you back to Hosea chapter 2. Because after it's kind of explained for us the, the story that Hosea is living, then God's trying to give him and the people some encouragement. And so he uses these words. God says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So think about the words that he's using here. Betroth. I mean, that's marriage language, right? Like these are essentially marriage vows that God is speaking to the people. With this ring... I thee betroth. And you're thinking, oh God, don't you realize what Hosea is going through? Like how insensitive can you be that your message to him is going to be about how wonderful and faithful marriage is when his marriage has fallen apart because of what his wife is doing? Pick something else, God, right? Like let's get to the, the, tr the trees or something like that. But that's kind of the point. In fact, in this story, one of the things that God does is he actually asks Hosea to buy his own wife back to continue to love her despite her unfaithfulness and that becomes a picture of the way that God loves us that God is trying to demonstrate through the life of Hosea that we are like that wife that there's things that we know are wrong but they're not that bad are they and we go into them anyway there's things that we know that if God is who he says he is and if the Bible's true it lays out some pretty specific stuff and I'm either doing the stuff I'm not supposed to, not doing the stuff I'm supposed to, or like those people, I've kind of ignored God. I've kind of rejected God. I don't actually know who God says he is, but I've been listening to what the media says God says he is, or who my family or, or, or my friends think he is, and I don't think I really want that. Right? That's kind of where the people are at Hosea's time. And God is saying, still, I am faithful. Still, I want to woo you. And draw you back to myself, that you would see who I really am and how I really love you. And so he uses these words, betrothed, betrothed, forever. Faithfulness. And you notice, one of the words that he uses here, he says, you shall know the Lord. I think that's such a good one. Because if you think about it this way, you don't just want to know about the person you love, Right? So if you're married, you can imagine like the moment you fell in love with the person that you're married to. You know, I think of my wife. In college, when I met Melissa, 
it was not enough for me to know about Melissa, right? I wouldn't want to just read a book about Melissa and find out what her eye color is or some of her favorite things. No, I want to know Melissa. I want to spend time with her. I want to share memories with her. I want to know deep down who she is and how she ticks and what our life could look like together. And that's the word that God is using here. And that's what I want for you as you explore who God is, as you dig more into the Bible, as you ask questions about Jesus and about faith. I don't want you to just know about God. I want you to know God. And that's what he wants. In fact, that's really the first thing that we discover when we discover that he's evergreen. You discover a God who is ever faithful. That's a a thing you see repeated throughout the entire Bible. It's part of the main message that God is trying to deliver. That it's not just good things to do, bad things to do, and then we'll tally them up at the end. It's a story of God's love for a people who are unfaithful to him and how he remains faithful through all of it. And so that's why he uses this picture of the evergreen, this cypress family of trees. In fact, one of them I have a picture for you here is called a juniper. So even junipers, there's a number of different types of junipers, but they all fall in that evergreen cypress family. And so I love this picture that it can grow in the wilderness and that for all kind of the twisted ways that the bark and the, and the limbs go, yet always there's green at the top. Like those sequoias that have been standing for thousands of years. Like that's insane. And they're not dead. I mean, there had to be one bad summer, right? And they're still growing green. And so when I think about that, it, it, it kind of reminded me of my marriage. Not the desert twisted stuff, but the, the fact that it stays green. And, and here's why. Because when my wife and I got married, we had inscribed on our rings the phrase, love never fails. So I can't take this off anymore, but trust me, it's in there. And the reason for that was because I love her and she loves me and that's the plan. Love will never fail, right? That's what we want for each other. That's what we're going to do. So if you've been married for any amount of time, you know marriage is hard. Marriage is really good, 100% worth sticking it out, but it takes work, right? That's part of it. And as we went through our marriage, we, we took these words actually from the Bible. So maybe you've been to a wedding where you hear, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it's not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs, love never fails. So that's actually from the Bible. And that last piece is what we put in our rings. What we discovered as our lives went on was that, you know, there's times where we faced wilderness, forest fire, things burning down. Some of that, medical problems, medical situations that you go through as a family. Some of that is just just broader family situations that you really struggle through and you find yourself at odds with people that you love. And you think, but I thought love was supposed to never fail and I feel like I'm at my limit. I feel like I'm past my limit. You know, I have to admit that some of the times of wilderness that we went through were because of me. I wasn't trying to burn my marriage down, but I was lighting matches. You know, things of anger, things of lust, things that are like the things that God warns you about. And then we say, mind your own business, God, but they can hurt you and hurt the people around you. And what I discovered was I have failed. Does that mean this is a lie? But here's what else we discovered. We discovered that there's another place in the Bible that says God is love. 
So if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, right? So if God is love and love is patient and kind, you realize what that passage is actually telling you is that God is patient and kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not self-seeking. God keeps no records of wrong. God never fails. And I can tell you standing here today, like, I know this sounds like cheese whiz, so just believe me because we've been through it. But I love my wife more than I ever have before. Like, our marriage is better than it ever has been before. Having gone through wilderness because we found a love that can't fail. It wasn't hers and it wasn't mine, but it's God's. And part of the picture that he's giving Hosea in his own marriage, but also for the entire nation, is that if you are counting on your own resources, but if you count on a God who is evergreen, who always has more love to give you, more peace to give you, more comfort to give you, more kindness to give you, then you discover a God who lasts forever, who's always faithful. And so I actually want to take you back to the same verse from chapter 14 where he says that he's that cypress. Because I actually only gave you about half the verse. So check this out. In the first half of the verse, he uses a couple words that are a little bit strange. So we'll have to explain these. But he says, Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. And this is where God answers, I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. So we got to unpack that a little bit because who is Ephraim? So Ephraim is a name that basically just stands for the nation that Hosea lived in, the people of Israel. So it's basically like the whole nation is collectively coming to God and saying, we're done with idols. We don't want that stuff anymore. We want to follow you. And so then God says, all right, I've heard you. I've observed it. I've seen that you mean it. I've seen you making the change. I'll be your evergreen. But really, there's another word there that we have to kind of explain, right? Because if you ever try, if you ever take a crack at reading this book, especially in like the first half, you're going to see the word idols a lot. So, what are idols? Well, to help explain this, I borrowed something from my kids. I brought Play-Doh. Because in the ancient world, I know this sounds kooky, but in the ancient world, what they would do is, because there are things they can't explain in the world around them, they come up with gods to worship. Well, but nobody wants a god you can't see, so they would take wood or clay, stone, rock, and they would begin to craft a statue for their god. So I'm not going to do this well. I'm just going to do this quickly. But it would be something like this. Look at that. I made my own little god. Is he cute? I know he doesn't have a face, but is he cute? Okay. I'm not kidding you. This is history. Then you put your god down and you start to pray to him. Sorry, my god has a little trouble standing on his own. This is probably why a lot of them end up sitting down. There you go. Dear orange Play-Doh man. Guys, I'm praying. Help me to get a good job. And, uh, you know, make my kids be good. Amen. Okay, is that ridiculous? Like, literally, we're still digging them up, culture after culture, civilization after civilization, trying to figure out how the world works and how to get what they want out of it. 
building idols to worship. This is what he literally means in this passage. Okay, we are not that stupid, right? (laughs) I mean, essentially what they are functionally doing is that they are counting on something that they made themselves to sustain them, to give them joy, to give them life, to put their hope in. So as ridiculous as it sounds, we realize, you know, we kind of do that too. And, and I'll even own, like, I'm standing here talking to you today as a Christ follower. I'm telling you that the God I pray to is not ridiculous. He's not Plato. There is no idol. There is no statue. There is nothing that shows what God looks like. In fact, I'm going to tell you that I pray to a God that I can't see. And yet, we see the evidence of who he is scattered all throughout history and in my own life. And so I understand that there's a little bit of that that's like, how is that any different than, you know, little orange Play-Doh man? But I actually think one of the big differences, because even in the Roman Empire, when, when Jesus shows up and Christians start saying, well, you can't see our God, that was shocking to people because everybody else had a statue. You know how God's real? I built him out of marble. But the Christians are saying, come on, if God is real, you think he's contained by statues and you think he has to do what you say just because you like bring him some some money? In fact, I think it's probably a little bit like that that lyric from that Billy Joel song. He says, uh, maybe it's something that can only be seen with the eyes of the blind. That beyond the physical reality, there may actually be a spiritual reality that has every bit as much evidence, it's every bit as real, And it is far more trustworthy than anything we see here. Because the things that are around us here, essentially what the idols become for us, they may not be the statues, but it's things that we pin our hopes to that don't last. Things that we're counting on to do what only God can do. Things that dry up, like the wilderness, or burn down, like a forest fire. In fact, as I was researching these cypress trees, I found this incredible story that in 2012, in Valencia, Spain, there was a massive forest fire. Like thousands of acres of trees burned to the ground. And when they went in there to see what had happened and how much the damage was, the only thing that didn't burn down were the cypress trees. Only like 1% of the cypress trees had any damage. Everything else was torched, just ash, smoldering. And the cypress trees were standing there like nothing had happened. And what they realized was the cypress tree is so good at holding water in its trunk and in its leaves that it just literally did not catch fire. It was as if it was just another day to the cypress. That's the picture of the evergreen God that he's giving us. In fact, they've actually started planting these in California around other forests so that it will create a natural barrier to forest fires. See, that's how God wants to be for us. So, so here's a little bit of maybe a, a tongue-in-cheek example of what this could look like. The other thing I remember early in my marriage, uh, when we first bought a house, what was it going to take for me to be happy in this house? And you know what I realized? A foosball table in the basement. But not just any foosball table. It had to be like the right foosball table, like the one I played on in junior high. Like nostalgia was strong with this one. Had to have the right little men, had to have the right kind of ball, had to have the right slopes, not those plastic things they just nail in there. It's got to be like curved and crafted. 
And I searched and I searched and I searched and I finally found it. Some grade school was like unloading these things, 25 bucks for the perfect foosball table. Still in the basement today. And I've been happy every day since. <laughs> Actually, I, I pretty much was until I realized the other thing I needed was skee-ball in the basement, a skee-ball alley. I have not figured that one out yet. Uh, cost prohibitive, size prohibitive, but here's my point. If I'm counting on skee-ball, right, to make me happy, it can't, right? That wears out, you get bored, and, and, and I kind of joke about it, but that's the reality of what we do with so many things in our lives. Like, I count on my career to be my identity, right? Don't you feel that sometimes? Like, if I got demoted or if they gave part of my territory to somebody else or if I have fewer clients this year than last year what am I doing wrong and who am I and maybe I'm a failure or maybe if I just hit that number by the end of the year like then I'll know I've arrived and I mean you guys know this something else will come up that I feel like I, I really need to hit the next mark but guys we do this to people too I think that's one of the dangerous things that happens in our relationships if you're counting on another human being to be your source of peace or comfort? Oh, they can offer peace and comfort, but they're human. I mean, they're just like you. There's times where they can't. There's times where they don't want to. There's times where they are going to fail you and let you down. And if your whole identity or hope or safety or whatever else is wrapped up in another person, you're counting on them to do something that only God can do. Because only God is evergreen. And so these are things that for us might function a little bit like idols. And so I think that God is trying to show us that he has something so much better than that for us. You know, some of those things are bad things. You know, there's stuff like, like pornography can become an idol. It becomes addictive and it's only bad for you. Lying at work. Stealing. Cutting corners. Like there's some stuff that's just straight up bad. God's like, don't do it. Trust me, that hurts you and it ends in pain. There's other things that are good things. Like relationships, like your career. But if we put them in the place of God, he says it all dries up, it all's burned down. It all burns down. And his instruction to us, don't wait. Don't wait until everything else dries up or burns down. He's got something better for us. But it takes doing what the people here in Hosea did. It's what the Bible calls repentance. Big religious word that I hope you know just means turn away. It, the, the word literally means turn around. I've been chasing this. I've been counting on this. I've been trying to find like sustaining life in this. You know, I've been giving in to this. I've been hurt by this. Repent. Turn away and say, God, I want you to be my forgiver. And I want you to be the leader in my life. You see, that's at the core message of the entire Bible. If you come to this book and you think it's just a list of rules for how you're supposed to be, right? Do some good, do some bad, and at the end, you're like, okay, we all know there's only two places. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. So I hope when I get there and I show God, I mean, I didn't read it, but I think I heard most of the rules, God, and I tried my best. Is that really what I want to pin my hopes on? Or is it possible that he wants to show me something right now that is evergreen? Because the message of Hosea is pointing to the message of Jesus. In fact, without getting too nitty-gritty, Hosea's name means salvation. Jesus' name means 
the Lord's salvation. That when Jesus came to earth, what he was saying is, because you have bailed out on me like Gomer, that's Hosea's wife, like she bailed out on him. I know, who names their daughter Gomer? It's history, people. Can't change it. God's saying, because you bailed out on me like she bailed out on him, I didn't give up on you, but I have chosen to buy you back. That's why he asked Hosea to do that, to set the example, because God says, I'm here to redeem you. That metaphorically, you have sold yourself out to all this other stuff that just doesn't last, and I'm here to buy you back. That Jesus describes how his death and his resurrection were paying a price that you and I could never pay so that we could know evergreen forgiveness evergreen peace, evergreen love. This is the fruit that God's talking about back in that same verse when he says, I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Okay, but what kind of fruit grows on an evergreen? Well, I can show you a picture here. These are juniper berries. Remember, juniper is a type of cypress, a type of that evergreen. And if you've encountered juniper, maybe the only time is in your Starbucks drink a couple years ago. Remember when they had the juniper latte? I swear everybody I talked to either loved it or hated it. Someone says, it tastes like a Christmas tree. And someone else says, it tastes like a Christmas tree. So I'm one of the ones that loved it. Like I went in there and I said, this is real. How many shots of flavor do you put in that thing? Two. Is that too strong for you, sir? Give me eight. Like, I want to feel like I am chewing on branches. I loved it. I just love that flavor. I don't know why. So if you didn't love it, stick with God for a minute on this one. Because part of what he's showing us is that these berries are what's known as monoecious. All right, so this is, this is unique to this cypress tree. What that means is that all of the genetic material required to reproduce the plant are carried in a single piece of fruit which means it doesn't need another plant of some other kind. It doesn't even need another cypress tree. It doesn't need the bumblebees or anything. It is self-sustaining, standalone. So an evergreen tree can be out in the middle of the desert, whether it's scorching heat or 20 below with no water for thousands of years and reproduce fruit and continue to be green and provide. Yes, I want to know a God like that. That no matter what season of life I'm in, he can provide that. And so that's what the fruit is really all about. That the fruit means we find evergreen resources from God. And so Ken actually mentioned this last week, so I'll I'll mention it again. Maybe this jogs your memory. Because he brought up something called the fruit of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is one of the ways that we talk about God in the Bible. And often you'll hear that, that a Christ follower talks about how the Spirit is helping them. It's like God is saying that this is the way that I'm empowering you to live what I'm actually saying. And so the metaphor is that it's the fruit of the Spirit. But when you hear what those fruits are, actually very practical. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like who doesn't want more of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Count me in. But here's what I love about the fruit of the Spirit. Because you read that list, and, and if you don't know God, you think to yourself, all right, well then before I die, I better try to be loving, be gentle, be self-controlled, and then when I get there, I'll say, look at all the fruit I picked, God, and I hope he says good job. And then someone walks up behind me like I have one bushel and they have ten, and I start to wonder if maybe I didn't cut it. 
right? But that's not the picture. The fact that it's the fruit of the Spirit, the way God describes this is, oh, you, you might recognize love, but man, yours runs out fast. Let me give you the fruit, God says. I'll give you love that never runs out. I'll give you peace that never runs out. I'll give you patience that never runs out. You can actually tap into unlimited God-sized patience whenever you need it. If you come to me as your evergreen. And I can tell you, I feel that as a husband, as a dad, you know, like when my patience is wearing thin, you know what that feels like, right? The blood pressure is rising, your heart's beating a little bit faster, and you're like, this is about to go not well. And if I go in there and say, I just got to be a little more patient, flops out every time. Like I just run out. If I can catch myself, or I actually think that's God that catches me, take one step back. God, if it's true that you have unlimited patience, can I have some of yours right now? And he carries me through. I don't grow the fruit. He's the evergreen. All of my fruit is in him. See, that's the picture that he wants us to have of what it means to know him. In fact, I had, a, I had kind of a fun conversation with a couple of buddies this week, which um, already is going to make me sound like a Bible nerd when I tell you what the conversation was, but that's okay. Because we're sitting here, we're talking about like, what, what is it like to know God? We're talking about this message that no matter what you've done through Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. How some people don't figure that out until their deathbed, and yet God is still merciful. And so one of the guys brings up, I think, a really good question. Like, then why not live my life kind of however I want, and just before I die, I'll be like, and I'm sorry, God! Right? And then he'll, he'll work it out. Um, so what was, it was kind of funny, but what was really cool about that, like, never mind that maybe you're being disingenuous if that's sort of the, the plan, but the other guy who is a follower of Christ said, actually, I think you might be undervaluing how great it is to know God right now. And he's a guy who, who grew up in a church that was very legalistic. It was very hurtful to him. He, like the people in Hosea's day, he completely bailed out on God for a while. Like to the point of not even thinking God was there. And when he came back around and understood Jesus' forgiveness and God's love for him, oh, he would tell you, like, marriage is different with God's love in there. Parenting is different with God's peace, God's comfort. He's like, I think you might be missing out. If, if your impression is that, like, do whatever I want is the best way to live, God's kind of a killjoy, but I don't want to go to hell, so right before I die, I'll say, and I'm sorry, God, right? You might be a little short-sighted. You might be missing out on what God is actually saying is the best life, and it doesn't have to wait until you die. Those resources start right now. Whether it's spring, summer, winter, or fall, those resources are for us right now. And so it kind of takes me back to that, that lyric from that song. When I come to the mountains of faith, maybe that's where you are right now. And maybe it's a struggle to find answers. Maybe there's a lot that you're trying to dig through and that, that river seems really wide. Like I just love how honest Billy Joel is in that song. God knows I've never been a spiritual man. <laughs> like God's there, but I'm not that spiritual. Because he's seeking, he's searching. You know, and maybe as you are going through this season of life, maybe it feels like summer, maybe it feels like spring, you know, maybe the beautiful colors are turning and it feels like fall and it's a little bit cozy, but maybe winter's around the corner. Or maybe there are things that have begun to hurt and you would ask God for that fruit. You know, maybe you would ask him for, for patience with your spouse or someone at work as you're working through a crisis. Maybe you would ask him for peace as you're facing a big decision. Or for joy. Like my friend Bob who just lost his wife. 
And as he's struggling through the sorrow of that, he continues to find joy and comfort because of a God who's evergreen. You know, maybe you would ask him for self-control to avoid that pornography, that anger, that gossip, you know, that addiction, that thing that seems to keep dragging you back when you want to move forward. Maybe you would ask him for gentleness in how you respond to your teenager or for love. And so can I just pray for you? And maybe you even, if, if that's what you want today, if you haven't known his love that way before, you know, maybe you even just use these words to talk to him now. God, I want you to be my evergreen. I'm done with idols. I'm done counting on things to do what only you can do. I accept your forgiveness through Jesus. Your love through Jesus. And I trust you as my forgiver and leader. Amen. If you just said that prayer, I'd encourage you, tell somebody, maybe the person that you came with. There's a, there's a lifelong adventure that God is bringing you on. But maybe you feel like you're not quite ready to say that. You still have questions or you're still exploring. And a lot of the things that we do here at Horizon are exactly for that reason. To create a comfortable space to keep asking questions about who God is and what it means that he's evergreen. And so I'd invite you, um, guys, you heard that Roadmap started last weekend. Um, so you've only missed one session, and you can even pick that one up online. And so I'd invite you, if, if that's something you're interested in, this one is loaded with really great tips to help you understand and love and care for the woman in your life. And so that's tonight at 8 o'clock or tomorrow at 6.09, same thing both times. Um, but we also have a new opportunity coming up for the gals this week. And I'm going to let Gail Maui, our women's ministry leader, tell you more about it. Hi, I'm Gail Maui, our women's ministry leader here at Horizon. We are so excited to bring this study to you this fall called Seamless. In it, the author Angie Smith weaves together for us the pages of the Bible from the beginning to the end into one seamless story. Together, we're going to study the people, the places, and the promises of the Bible. So if you've ever wondered what the Bible's all about, this study is for you. We invite you to come and study with us on Wednesday evenings starting September 21st at 7 p.m. It's a great time of the day for women to get together, connect a bit, and study a bit. You're welcome to bring your children. We offer child care as well if you'd like. Registration is on the website, so feel free to go to horizoncc.com and register. And if you want to talk further about this or have more questions, you can find me most Sundays here at Horizon or feel free to reach out via email or phone. And I'm really excited about this study and I hope to see you all there. Gail is the kind of person when she says she hopes to see you there, she actually means it. <laughs> and I would tell you, here's, here's the best endorsement I can give this study. If I was a girl, I'd be there. Since I'm not, I won't be there. But... Uh, we've done this study before, and it always comes back with just amazing feedback, because if I'm exploring God, if I was actually going to believe in this, if I was really going to try praying, wouldn't I want to know what's in the Bible? Like, if that's the thing that tells us about him. And so seamless is a chance to see how it's kind of all woven together, who God is. So women, if that's of interest to you, starts this Wednesday. Uh, would love to see you there. Gail would love to see you there. Um, and I hope you just keep exploring who God can be as your evergreen. So thank you for coming, and we'll see you next week.